Well, so um, programming wise, it'd be good to do the fuckums and the cheers just because. All right, let's that do that will, one then. That will let's allow that. for. Yeah. Let's do programming. Programming is king. <laughs> See, people say content, but really it's cash. Although we're not getting any cash at this point. Right. So we are kingless. Welcome, party people, to the Middle Brow Culture Warrior. We're very excited to have you here today. My name is Danny Kelly Stallings. I'm here with my co-host, Pete Gamel. Quick plug before we dive into the content. We have just posted a bunch of subscriber-only episodes on patreon.com slash middlebrowmultiverse. If you are friends and family and you don't feel like paying to get this content, let us know. We've got a deal for you. If you want to be a super fan and not miss a single episode of the Middle Brow Multiverse, let us know. Pete, you don't have a top three for today, but I do have a top three, and here is my top three. For me, life is just a dream. So I've got a top three that's <laughs> a little so more concrete. You are the most optimistic guy. Well, so here's my top three. Pete, number three is sports betting. So you love sports and I love sports. We all love sports. However, as we get older, things get less interesting and things start to lose their zest. You know what I'm saying? The feels. Yeah, once you've seen things a certain number of times, you start to kind of get a little jaded about them. And sports is one of those things. Ah, you know, here the big game's on. Okay, you know, who's going to win? Who's going to lose? Or the election. Oh, the election. Well, some hack loser is going to win or some hack loser is going to lose. Like, eh. It's just a bunch of bullshit. You know what I'm saying? How do you keep the spice going? How do you keep the spice going? And with respect to sports in particular, I've found that the best way to keep the spice going is to bet on sports. Really? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, can be difficult to do this in left coast states such as the one that we live in. If you live in Oregon, it's game on. But in Washington, it's a little more difficult. But whether you bet with your friends, which is what I more often do, or you find some way to place a bet online, I find that betting on sports gives it that extra spice and brings back the magic and makes it so that you really, really care who wins, even if it's a small amount. So what we typically do, me and my friends, me and my homies, we usually bet on either a certain team to make the playoffs or not make the playoffs and then you root for or against that team or you sort of do a draft. Everybody, okay, the NFL playoffs are coming up. Everybody draft a team and then you root for that or two teams and then you root for those teams throughout the playoffs. Whoever does best wins. And I find that that ability to bet on sports and add that extra layer brings me back to those moments that I used to have before I got jaded where I really deeply cared what happened to a team. And it brings, brings back that little bit of extra special something. Yeah, it's true. I've gotten that a little bit through fantasy sports, but the problem with fantasy Mm. sports is it's kind of a hassle. It's like, it's a lot of work and you got to kind of keep up with it. Like it was cool for a little bit, but I stopped doing it. But you kind of get that same sense of like, I've got a stake in this game. You do, but fantasy sports to me is problematic because it takes the teams and it rips them apart into individual pieces. So you're not in there rooting for a team, which is the most fun thing. Because as you've said, teams are the basic unit of humanity. And so to root for a team is far, far more satisfying than rooting for some kind of individual moment or some bit of brilliance or for some stat to go. I'm sold. I think that's exactly right. Number two is naps. As a spiritual practice. When you take a nap as an adult, it feels very, very much like you are coming into contact with something divine. 
And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is because adults need naps. They really, really need them. And so when you give in to something that for some reason don't want to give yourself, but you really need in your spirit and your soul, and you give in to that, there's a very like redemptive power to that, I think. But there's also an aspect of it that's kind of like a um, Star Wars, you know, in Star Wars where Luke goes into the spirit cave and he encounters Darth Vader and he cuts his head off and or whatever. Face. And it kills all the momentum in that movie. I don't that movie's know, cruising but... right along until that stupid cave scene. Okay, but anyway, you're in the cave scene. <laughs> <laughs> you're in the cave scene, and it's this kind of mystical thing. Or there's one in the um, <clears throat> the first of the new trilogy where Ray goes into a, a spirit cave, and she encounters all these different things. Anyway, there's this concept of the Star Wars spirit cave, and you access this by taking naps because as you fall asleep, you're laying there. You're awake. You're tired. You lay there. And as you lay there, the sleeping world, the dream world starts to creep up on you and your brain starts to apply the logic of the sleeping world, the dream world. And at the same time, your awake brain is applying the logic of the awake world. And so you're, you're having this experience where your brain is operating with two different modalities, one that's pulling you towards the sleep world, one that's pulling you towards the awake world. And when you mix those two modalities, it's incredibly spiritual and interesting. And I find that really fascinating. There is also a kind of perfection of time, place, body, and spirit that comes together when, as a 30 to 40 plus person, you take a nap and it all comes together in that moment where you know what happens when you take a nap? Your consciousness is obliterated. So you're conscious and you're living with this thing that is humanity's gift and humanity's burden all the time, consciousness. And in a moment that you could almost experience when you're taking a nap, not so much when you're falling asleep at night, but when you're taking a nap, you can almost experience the moment where consciousness is just shut down. I totally agree. I've experienced that. And yet I feel so guilty taking a nap. Even if people have told me to do it, I don't know why. Just like taking a nap feels like an offense against American ideals or something. Like I'm just going to, I'm going to not be productive. I'm going to sit here and sleep in the middle of the day. God damn it. You know, it's like having a drink at 10 a.m. or something. I just, and I'm much more likely to have a drink at 10 a.m. than take a nap at noon. But anytime I do, you're right. It's that, it's got that bizarre handoff. And if you ever get, or at least it happens to me, I'm kind of a light sleeper. So I, I can kind of get startled awake by things when I'm in that state. And like, I've noticed the, the, the line between consciousness and dream is so thin and the things you're thinking so about thin. are kind of being manifested and then they kind of start, it's, it's odd. You feel really out of place. It's like without drugs, is there any state like it as about to take a nap? No. I mean, it's just such a, it's such There's a none. grandpa like experience of tripping. If no. you think about it. It's incredible. And it's almost a conversation because your sleeping, dreaming brain will put some idea into your head and then your logical brain will be like, what the fuck is that? That makes no sense. <laughs> you're talking nonsense, mate. <laughs> like your brain's kind of like, the fuck is that? Is that real? You ah, cool. you're dreaming. <laughs> Get up. So number two is naps. Uh, can I add my that, favorite ooh. nap fact? This is for some reason this just delights me about naps, and I may have told you this before because I tell everybody this. But there was this great book written by Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, like six months after JFK was assassinated with Arthur Schlesinger. She just sat down and just talked. And they just talked about their reminiscences of him. It's this like incredibly honest thing. And it was not to be published until like 2011 or whatever it was. And it was published and I read it. And it's great. Short. Anybody who's ever interested in Kennedy's and all that stuff, it's fascinating. And the, the detail in there, she said, she said, Jack took a nap every day 
And what he would do is he would come up from the Oval Office, take off his suit, put on full pajamas, you know, like those suit pajamas, like in the 60s that looked like a leisure suit, put on full pajamas, get into bed, take a nap for 45 minutes, get up, wash his face, brush his teeth, get dressed, and then go back down to the White House. And I'm like, that is the weirdest shit I've ever heard <laughs> for some reason. Like, if I get that completely ready to sleep, I'll sleep for six hours. Like, you got to nap and kind him. of like... I know, it just creeps me out. Like, that dude's crazy. Oh, and, and, and the other thing he would always do is he, before napping, he would always do a rosary. He would always say his prayers. And she said yeah. he was like a little kid. He would just kneel down by the bed and just do his little Catholic routine and get into bed and take a nap. And I'll bet that felt great. Absolved himself of his sin, sat down, slept. <laughs> well, and those, those Catholic prayers have a very spiritual power as well. The words in the, from the King James Bible or whatever are just incredibly powerful. Well, I think it's, I think it's the ritual. I think that human beings do mm-hmm. good when you give them something to do. So if you're going to go kneel down, say this, do that, and you just kind of go through it as a process, it's meditation. I mean, the, the Zen Buddhists are doing what the Catholics are doing. Just say this stupid phrase about Hail Mary 50 times until you reach Zen. Mm-hmm. You know, It's just done with a lot of threats as opposed to <laughs> Zen Buddhists. Right. So if you're feeling guilty about your napping, then you and I are living in very different households because – Naps are highly, highly encouraged uh, in my oh, household. Oh, God, are we in different households. Oh, my God, Danny, that just makes me want to go to your house and take a nap. <laughs> Can I come over and just snuggle up, get a little nap in on your couch or something? Naps are encouraged. <laughs> so, number one is season one of the show Undone. Never heard of it. This is following closely on uh, what we were talking about with sort of spiritual, mystical sleep phenomena. Because have you ever watched Pete Waking Life? The movie, it's a Richard Linklater. No, I like Richard Linklater, but no, I haven't seen it. Okay. It's really good. Waking Life is is uh, fascinating. It's all about lucid dreaming, and this guy kind of meanders through a reality, and it's not clear what's dream and what's real. And it has this very specific type of animation. And the animation is basically they act out, they have actors act out the movie in real life, and then they take the footage and they turn it into animation. Yeah, rotoscoping. Yeah, are there other examples of this? Yeah, yeah, through a scanner darkly. Did you ever see that? You ever hear of that? Hmm. That's a really cool movie. It's from like 2005 maybe, and it's Robert Downey Jr. and Keanu Reeves as uh and he's a drug addict who is also a cop trying to bust drug addicts and it's all this unreality kind of futuristic thing. It's, it creates this really kind of kind of unsettling look. It's weird. Uh, well, it's not just Robert Downey Jr. and Keanu Reeves because there's some director who has watched probably Waking Life and has made a conscious choice to say, okay, we're going to give our movie the title uh, yeah. that re- reminisces us to an Ingmar Berg movie and we're going to make it in this particular style. Who's the director? Do you know? Uh, let me find out. Yeah, look it up. Uh, it's a cool movie, and it's it's kind of unsettling because it's like it's like uh, he's kind of going into madness through this, you know, whatever. Uh, oh my god, it's a Linklater film. <laughs> <laughs> Holy it's shit! Linklater. Did you know that? No, but I was sitting here being like, it's probably Linklater. It's probably dude. Linklater. You're absolutely right. Why did I not know that? I just took I just took from it the Keanu Reeves and Robert Downey Jr. thing. Oh, and Winona Ryder's in it. It's it's a trip too. It's cre- so this is something he's worked with. It's good and it's unsettling. So can you repeat clearly what is the title of this film? A Scanner Darkly. Oh, Through a Scanner Darkly. Uh, it's just, I thought it was Through a Scanner Darkly, which is the quote, right? But it's just A Scanner Darkly, 2006. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, and this is that exact movie. same. A 19, 9, 1977 novel by Philip K. Dick. Didn't you just know it? Boom. Philip K. Uh, Dick it plus Rich, Richard There it is. Linklater. Just crushing it. Just whipping out a couple of life-changing science fiction pages every once in a while. Jesus, that guy. I bet that guy never had any idea what his influence was on popular culture when he died. How big it was. Philip K. Dick, you mean? Yeah. I mean, that yeah. guy's influence. I mean, how many how many stories of his? It's like him and Asimov are like 90% of all science fiction movies. Yeah, and all they had to do was be like misogynistic, like white guys with a white guy vision of the world. That Dude, is... yeah, you can start a religion with that shit. Ask the Scientologists. They're amazing. I probably will do that, Pete. I'll take you up on that. Do it. So, Undone, season one. Undone is a, a series on, fuck, I don't remember how, where I watched it on. Is it new? Well, there's two seasons. And like it's ongoing? Like this is the last two years or is this from like six years ago or something? No, 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 no. It's it's very recent. Oh, man. I can't believe I didn't know that. I do not remember what streaming platform it's on, but Undone is the name of the series. And season one is deeply, deeply moving and unsettling and interesting. And it's done in the same animation style as uh, Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly. Yeah. I compare this, I have no choice but to compare this to Colson Whitehead's book, Nickel Boys, because I was reading, reading Obviously. Nickel Boys. I mean, I've said that so many times, Danny. It's almost <laughs> trite to bring up Colson Whitehead's Nickel Boys on, In on, the context. The, on the Richard Linklater rotoscoped thriller. Yeah, dude, this is just, this is just getting to be Pablum, Danny. It's just Pap. We got to get past it. All right, no, to tell you. This shit did Colson Whitehead right? I was reading Colson Whitehead's Nickel Boys at the same time that I was watching season one of Undone. And Colson Whitehead's Nickel Boys, as we'll cover in our uh, segment on Pulitzer Prize winners, is an interesting story. It's kind of compelling. It's kind of interesting. And I was reading this book and I was kind of like, yeah, it's interesting. I'll, I'll stick with it because, you know, it's it's a compelling narrative, whatever. But at the same time, I was watching season one of Undone and the contrast was really stark because season one of Undone, it was like doing things to my brain that like my brain wasn't ready for. It was like altering my brain. <laughs> And as I was watching this, I could feel that alteration and and feel what was happening to me as I watched it. And it was just like taking me on this weird trip. It was like these deep, deep feelings that I didn't know existed. And as I watched this, it brought them out in almost a sort of Greek tragedy catharsis sense where it was just like, holy shit, what am I watching? How does this exist? And I really, really enjoyed season one of Undone as a result of that. Season two wasn't as good, but season one is absolutely phenomenal. I highly recommend it. Man, I, I appreciate it because there is so much good stuff out there that I'm completely unaware of. And we've talked about that before, but like, I have no idea if there is a Richard Linklater rotoscope TV. Like, I had never heard of that. I don't know how to get that onto my... I need to go back to my algorithm. See, it's like just eating in on itself again. You know, this entire top three was highly abstract. I don't know why you're giving me crap for it. Basically, we've just had a philosophical. Mine? Yeah. Sports betting, naps, the, the dream, and a the, TV show. <laughs> sport, sports betting is the most practical one. Naps as the punching a hole to the other world and living within both of them is, is more abstract than naps. That that but concept you're still taking a nap. I know, but that concept was better than naps. Is what I'm saying. But there's nothing less abstract than taking a nap. Maybe eating a hamburger. You're the practical philosopher. <laughs> 
Okay, Pete, I got a little game for us to play. And this game is called, quote, Perfectly Defensible Left Coast Conventional Wisdom or Complete Horseshit. Your job, Pete, is going to be to, I'm going to walk through five different examples of left coast conventional wisdom. And your job is to determine whether these pieces of left coast conventional wisdom are perfectly defensible and legitimate or whether they are complete horseshit. You ready? I am. Number one. The book is always better than the movie. Horseshit. Why? There's just a different medium. There are several movies that can do way more than the books. I mean, I, I cannot get through a Harry Potter. And I, the movies are great. They're fine. There's some, of, there's some of England's best actors absolutely out there killing it. So to me, Harry Potter is example number one of why the book tends to be better than the movie. Because those books are so, so good and so deep and interesting and page turning. And the movies are good, but it's not like... I've never had the feeling with the movies that I always have with the books where I just can't stop consuming them. You know, with the books, it's like I can't stop turning the pages and like it's like 2 a.m. And you're like, ah, just read a couple more chapters with the movies. It's like I'm a little sleepy. Let's turn it off now. Can we finish it tomorrow night kind of thing? Yeah, But I just don't need to be that enmeshed in the wizarding world of Harry Potter. The wizarding world of Harry Potter is generally pretty lame. However, it's in this is what's always been the redeeming feature of Harry Potter to me is it's just it's just a really, really well told story. Yeah. And like I say, I don't know. I haven't read it. I can't imagine. I mean, it's just, it's too big. It's too much now. I got to go read how many books and there's all this controversy and there's all these spinoffs, whatever. The movies are just these nice little, here's the highlights done by really good people. They're great. Better. So the book is always better than the movie. Your opinion is it's complete horseshit. Doesn't, doesn't. It's just NPR liberal bullshit. And I agree with you on that. Jaws was a book. Oh, dude, Jaws. Have you ever read Jaws? It's the worst book. Is it terrible? Uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just like, it's just like a, I don't know, kind of a dime store novel. It's about the mob on Amity and uh, uh, Hooper is having an affair with Brody's wife, and there's just, it's just crazy. Spielberg just came and turned that into something amazing. It, 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 a one summer shark story that turned into like a cornerstone of American cinema. The Godfather was a book. <laughs> oh, before it was another a movie. one. Ugh, what a tedious book that is. So what a little great maybe- movie. One that might be controversial is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. But I think that in our popular imagination, the movie has definitely supplanted the book. Oh, yeah, but I think the book is. I mean, yeah, no, there's there's not a good Frankenstein movie. Not one. How about The Shining? Ooh, tough call. You've read the book? I have read the book. It's been a long time. And I generally have a tough time with uh, the Stephen King larger mythos, you know? which gets kind of weird. Like the shining keeps showing up in different places and it means different things and it's across the galaxies or whatever. Which is interesting because you love Lovecraft. I know, but Lovecraft seems to be not as, I don't know. Lovecraft seems to pick back up on his themes rather than try to weave this tale behind the tale thing. That's what the shining is. I don't know. I don't know. The shining's the shining movie is very good and Kubrick's a genius. And yeah, I, I prefer the movie. So Carrie, is another one. The Long Goodbye uh, is another one. I've never where, read Carrie. Yeah, where arguably the, the movie has supplanted. Shawshank book. Redemption. Shawshank little, Redemption. Stupid little short story. Great movie. The other one that springs to mind to me is The Queen's Gambit. And this is some little pulp novel, dime store pulp novel that was written way back when. And then they made it into this brilliant miniseries that is so, so good. And I haven't read the Dime Star Pulp novel, but the miniseries, I have to imagine, is far, far superior to um, the book. 
I don't know either. So I think we're in agreement that's complete horseshit. The book yep. is not always better than the movie. There are examples of times where the NPR liberals are just flat out wrong. <laughs> Number two. Suck it, NPR liberals. College prices are unconscionably and interminably on the rise. They keep going up and they won't stop going up. Defensible left coast conventional wisdom or complete horseshit. Uh, I think it's true. How do you possibly put a stop to this? The amount of money. I mean, colleges. Ugh, I'm furious at the way college is, is today. So it turns out, Pete, it's false. The sticker prices of college, the um, the number that they say they're going to charge you, is indeed on the rise unconscionably and interminably. However, private colleges, Pete, discount tuition by over 50% on average. The net cost of college since 2016 has actually fallen. The net Because cost of being, private schools? No, no, no. Public schools do it as well. The net cost of college has fallen since 2015 in both public and private colleges. The net cost being what people actually pay for college as opposed to the sticker price. Huh. Yeah. So why does this – there's this differential between what, yeah. people act, what people actually pay after scholarships and reductions and financial aid and so on. There's a big difference between what actually people pay and what people – what the sticker price is. Why does this differential persist? Well, there's a couple of good reasons for it. If you've got a high sticker price and – a low actual price that people pay, the wealthy who can afford the sticker price end up subsidizing the less wealthy who can't afford the sticker price. Plus, a high sticker price lends this kind of image, the veneer of quality of like, oh, this college costs $80,000 a year. It must be good. Right. But also, students and parents are flattered when they receive scholarships and financial aid and so forth and they're like well I'm it's paying for half of it like I'm, so this this there's this kind of myth that persists of like the really expensive college that you actually most people actually don't end up paying full sticker price for and college net the net cost of college is actually declining that's fascinating although it's a big hassle just like buying a car just this is why we want the no dicker sticker. Just tell me how much it's going to be because I don't want to show up and have to all the cart all your options and all of your things down to whatever it is. That's annoying. But you're right. I mean, you just got to like, I don't know. My kids are not ready for college yet, but when they are, I just hope they apply and I can take real looks at it. I don't know. It seems unconscionably expensive and it seems like the cost is going up directly proportional to the actual value of having a degree is going to go down. Or it should, or or should go down, in my opinion. I mean, the the idea that you know, in order to be a a receptionist at a city job, you need to have four years of college is bananas to me. Yeah, and I met an interesting receptionist recently who worked for an endodontist who was really a obviously right from the jump a highly highly intelligent person, probably had a college degree or two, and she was working reception at this endodontist office, and it was just kind of like, huh. You're a very, very smart, educated person. Here you are answering phones, making appointments, and so on. But anyway, it is uh, complete horseshit that college prices are unconscionably and interminably on the rise. They're actually falling. That is great news. It is. Here's another one. All liberals believe the following. Income inequality keeps getting worse, even under President Democrat Joe Biden. Do we think income inequality is getting better or worse right now? Worse. Why do you think that? I don't know. The news. It's my perception. Am I wrong? You actually are. And this is sort of a, a bit of a setup job, just like the college thing. But I love it. Wage gaps in America are shrinking. Wage gaps, 
wage gaps between the upper classes and the lower classes are shrinking. Really? Yes. Since 2016, real workly earnings for the people at the bottom of the wage pyramid have grown faster than for those at the top. Since the pandemic, we have erased 40%, Pete, 40% of the pre-tax wage inequality that accrued during the previous 40 years. So in the last 40 years, roughly since I've been alive, income equality has been increasing and increasing and increasing. But since the pandemic, 40% of those gains have been completely erased. The same thing is happening in Europe. This is so this is all in America. These stats are from America, but the same thing's happening in Europe. It's happening in Europe more slowly. But in 2015, the wage gap between college educated and non-college educated people was two thirds. In other words, if you're college educated, you make 66% more than someone who's not college educated. But by 2019, it was 50%. Yeah. The college premium is at its lowest level in five decades. In other yeah. words, this is a good time to get into the trades. This is a good time to uh, not go to college. Man, I've absorbed a lot of indefensible liberal left coast w- wisdom. There's a lot of it out there. And this is yeah. what liberals depend on as people not, you know, yeah, lift, lifting up the hood and seeing what's going on. I agree. All right, number four, Pete, and this is, I promise you, it's not a setup like the previous two were. Recycling is good for the planet and does not add to the global carbon burden. I don't know. I assume recycling is good for the planet, but it may, in fact, add to the carbon footprint. I don't know. I actually have no idea what the answer to this is. (laughs) I think think recycling's tricky. And I think the problem with recycling right now is that it's been put on the consumer so much when it's really at like the corporate industrial level, right? I mean, it's like the billions of tons of something that used to go to China are no longer doing that. So everybody's separating out their garbage and it's just going into a landfill anyway. I will say that recycling has become more confusing than cable streaming services. Really? Oh, I have no idea what I can recycle and what I can't because all kinds of things are like printed with the logo. They have this little recycling logo on them. They have like a number. You know, recyclable number five, recyclable number three. And most of the conflicts that I have, probably like 30% of the conflicts that I have with my wife come back to waste disposal. How, what are, what's, what's recyclable? What's compostable? What goes in the garbage? Like we, we can't get on the same page about this. We just this can't is, like. This is some Seattle action right here. It really is. And like, I have no idea what I can recycle. And I would pay money. Not only would I attend a seminar on like <laughs> what can be recyclable and what can't, what not, not only would I commit my valuable time, but I would pay probably $100 for like a course on what's recyclable and what's not. And what you can put into recycling versus what you can put in the garbage versus what you put in the yard waste. I just can't wrap my head around this. I can't figure it out. It's total chaos and confusion. And I have no idea what to put in what uh, waste container. Yeah, I, I just totally go on vibes. Does it look plasticky or cartony? It's recycling. Is it glass? It's recycling. Is Me it too. got food on it and foil on it? No, nobody's going to want that. So no, that goes in here. Or is that compost? Yeah, because it's all just real stuff. Like I just totally go by that seems like something that should be recyclable. So do I. And that's fine until your wife is like, is that actually recyclable? Can you, like, what makes you think? Don't that pull you on can... that thread. That is somebody else's job. Whose job? What's I don't somebody know. Else's... Somebody what? is somewhere sorting materials. No, this is, oh, yeah, this, is, this is done on an industrial scale. So what do you think happens when you put in a piece of, of product that has a logo on it? 
It goes into the pile of recyclable stuff. It's not recyclable. What do you think happens? That entire load is ruined. They, they just throw it away. Pete, you're preaching to the choir on this. That There's is no belief. answer to that other than it is melted in with the rest of the stuff. Right. You chuck it in. You see what happens. You know, you put, you have like a plastic, you know, takeout container or whatever. It's got a little, the three arrows circling each other. Chuck it in the recycling. See what happens. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't but, know. It's all getting lit on fire somewhere or melted or... <laughs> I mean, I mean, what, what, what are we talking about here? You think there's, you think, you think they're going through this and being like, ah, damn it, Bob, this all, this all has to go now. It's just, it, there was the, the logo thing in there. I mean, if that's the case, the recycling just doesn't happen. So this is not a, this is not like an ongoing dispute in your household over what gets no, recycled? No, not once. No, never, never even talked about it. Hmm. So this is the difference between your household and mine. In my household, you can take a nap whenever you want, but it's really hard to figure out what you put in what uh, waste disposal container. In your house, you can recycle whatever you want. Yeah, no one's causing shit, but yep. but you can't take a nap. Nope, nope, you're awake. You got to take the blue pill, the red pill. Which one do you want? <laughs> Unlimited naps, but arguments over recycling, or no arguments over recycling, but nope, no naps. All right, number five, Pete. Perfectly defensible, conventional, left coast liberal wisdom or complete horseshit. In this one, you get to be the full arbiter. There's no gotcha. There's no anything on this. You get to decide, Pete. And here's the left coast conventional wisdom. NPR is the gold standard in radio journalism. True or false? Worldwide or in the United States? Let's stick to the United States. Yes. Really? Yeah. I thought that would be a no. Mm -mm. I don't particularly like the way they do it, but I mean, no one commits the kinds of resources or cares. They're in all local jurisdictions. They're in these tiny towns, college towns, small places. They serve actual local communities. It all boils up to NPR in D.C. They do a really, really good job. They hire tremendously talented people and have high standards. It's not nearly as good as it used to be, and it got a lot worse once everybody got real precious about it and tried to... It's like Wes Anderson. They're just doing impersonations of NPR people at this point. Yeah. But I mean, as far as resources and clarity of news go, yeah, there's nothing. Nothing comes close. On radio, nothing. You don't think Limbaugh... He's dead. Rush Limbaugh's dead? Yeah, he's been dead for a while. Oh, fuck. But there's no one else who's doing it as well as NPR? For news? News. No. And just journalism generally? Journalism? No. Wow. Whatever Rush Limbaugh does is not journalism. As far as entertainment broadcasting, right-wing talk radio probably remains the most lucrative form of radio, for sure. I mean, if you want to get into like Ben Shapiro, what's his name, Alex Jones, those guys have huge, uh, Joe Rogan, you guys have huge audiences. So let's take a step back. Let me ask you a slightly different question. Is anyone doing radio right now as well as NPR? Does that include podcasting? Sure. Probably not. Yeah, probably NPR. That's shocking. I thought you were going to go in a different direction with this. I'm really surprised. I mean, there's actual money and jobs behind it. True. But to me, NPR is so annoying. Yeah, but I I find it annoying too. But the level of information is quite good. Looks like out of five topics that we've discussed here, we have three pieces of total horseshit, complete horseshit. One piece of we don't have any clue, which is recycling. And one piece of the left coast conventional wisdom is perfectly defensible. Wow. Yeah, just one out of five. One out of five, but it's not the five that I would that I would have predicted. Don't bet on the left coast. They're not going to save anybody. We're just the same thing, but way more sanctimonious. It's that time again, Pete. It's time for fuck 'em. Fuck them. Pete, I got to fuck them. Yep. And this is a big one because 
I'd like to say fuck them to people who insist that paper books, physical copies of books, are somehow morally superior to audiobooks. Yeah, fuck fuck those people. Fuck them. I love audiobooks. Me too. I absolutely love them. I also love paper books. And most of the books that I read are a mix of audiobook and paper book. I buy the, I buy a paper copy. I get the audiobook. I sort of go back and forth depending on whether I'm in bed versus running, etc. But there's this sanctimony surrounding mostly among the sort of elite liberal left about like, oh, you read the audiobook? You didn't really read that thing. You didn't really consume that content. And you know what? Fuck you. Discount every story you've ever been told. The only thing that you know, could possibly know, has been written down. The entire oral tradition of the West is useless. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? They're stories. They're stories. Tell me and- stories. If, if, they're, if you're not reading stories. Now, I get it, man. If you are in college and you have a textbook, dude, I, I don't know how you would use audio. That'd be very annoying. I could, I could maybe use it for like a once over and then try to get into. St- but like, that's like studying a text. Aside from that, oh my gosh, you're being told a story. Everyone is. That's all it is. It's, there isn't it's anything else. It's just a story. You're reading a book, you're listening to a story, whatever. It's the same thing. And Socrates had this thing when um, writing things down came around. Socrates was like, this is not going to work for us. This is going to be a big problem. We can't have things written down because people aren't really going to grasp it because it has to be spoken. It has to be talking. It has to be heard. And um, here we are dealing with the reverse of that, where people are like, oh, it's not written. It's spoken. Like, oh, you didn't really read it. And the the most insidious form of this is when people are these sort of bullshit, lefty, liberal, left coast elites are like... Older liberal left coast. Yeah. They're like, oh, uh, you read the audiobook or you listened to the audiobook? Oh, that's just as good. But it's not reading. It's not the same as reading. Has anyone ever said that to you? Absolutely. And that's where I have really? to stand up and be like, fuck you. Because you know what? It is. It's the same thing. Because inherent in that, like, it's not really reading. You're really just, you're listening to something. And it's just as good, but it's different. You know what? You're taking a moral stand at that point, And you're saying audiobooks are not as good because reading is this thing that's been sort of hallowed throughout time. And and like you think it's better. And I do think that there's a very significant part of what goes into this, which is learning style. Some people prefer to learn through audio. Some people prefer to learn through written materials. And if there, I do think there are a lot of people out there for whom listening to audiobooks is not the same experience as actually reading something and they don't get as much out of it. But I also think that there's a lot of people out there, myself included, and probably yourself included, who listen to the audiobook and get the same or more out of it than they would in reading. Yeah, I don't, no one's ever said that to me, but I definitely just get the feeling that that's what people are sort of thinking about audiobooks. And I just, I'm just somebody who like, nah, audio is my medium. You know, I just, I like talking to people. I would rather you tell me anything. And if you want to get into this ancient wisdom of writing, I swear talking to each other is older. It is. And also it's just the thing of like, are you interested in some kind of performative moral act of like reading something or are you actually interested in the content? And performative acts are the worst. They are. And that's what people who insist that reading is better than audiobooks or sort of subtly imply it by thinking you know, saying you're not really reading. That's where these people are wrong is that they're more interested. Dude, and let me just say, 
that is where the left coast wisdom. So there is a lot of performative action Mm -hmm. in uh, left coast daily life. (laughs) (laughs) Just a lot of performative action. (laughs) I think that's basically what I could sum it all up is like, like what's the hardest thing about living into in a bubble of just like soft left coast liberalism? Like, Oh my God, there's so much. Uh, There's just so much. Absolutely. And audiobooks are the best thing that's happened for learning since, I don't know, probably since Socrates was was railing on the opposite of what we're going through right now, which is like audiobooks are fantastic. If you can read and exercise at the same time, if you can read and and go cross-country skiing at the same time and listen to something while you're hustling up a, you know, a five-mile hill to the top of the mountain, like how is that worse? That's just the weirdest thing. You're like the only person in the world just getting jazzed and pumped going up the mountain listening to infinite jest on your on your little AirPods. I can't be the only person. And if if I am, if, if in fact... <laughs> I can't be. There are dozens of us. If in fact... There are dozens of us listening to audiobooks while exercising. If I'm the only one who's doing that, then this <laughs> podcast is frankly doomed to fail, which... I know, we're in deep shit because that's me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or doing the dishes while you're reading. Maybe that's what we should say. There should be like, hey, you know, I get asked a lot. What do you mean middle brow? And I'll say, I'm the kind of person who will listen to an audio book while I'm exercising. Or doing the dishes. That's as middle brow as it can be. Or cleaning the garage. Yeah. Do you, do you have chores? Do you listen to music? Do you have the TV on the background? Or are you listening to audiobooks? Audiobooks? Well, then. You're here. You're here. Welcome home, audio person. And we're here for you. So you know what? If you insist that reading paper books is somehow better than audiobooks, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you. Seriously. Fuck off. I got another one, Pete, and this is a really, really difficult one for me. This is the hardest fuck-em I've ever done. Ooh. I would like to say fuck-em and stay with me here. I'd like to say fuck-em to avocados. (laughs) And I, this is with okay. This is with such a heavy heart that I that I give you this fuck up. You know why? Because avocados are so goddamn good. But you know what else? They're so goddamn fickle. They are like that hot girl, Pete, who pretends that she likes you, but she really doesn't. You spend so much money and time and effort and energy, and you have all these big plans for how you're going to use these avocados. And in the end, <laughs> is that how you are with women? I've got all these big plans on how I'm going oh, to use, no, not use you to not use the women, but like, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And it's all going to happen and whatever. But like avocados, they almost always go bad before you're able to use them. Almost I don't always. like avocados. Really? I don't like them for their stigma, for their mushiness, for their fickle nature. But I tell you, Danny, I feel the same way as you about bananas. I love bananas. I want to eat bananas every day. And I buy bananas every time I go to the store and I only get like maybe a third of them. So sub- You have to eat them like the day of. So I've never felt this way about bananas. because we'll, So we'll have to sub bananas for avocados. It sounds like you and I are having parallel experiences, bananas, avocados. You buy them, you're like, oh, this is perfect. I'm going to eat it this time. I'm going to do this and so on. It's all going to be great. You're going to have this great experience. But in the but end, you're, you're left disappointed and penniless because you spent so much money on these avocados or bananas. Bananas are cheap, but avocados are expensive. Yeah, yeah avocados are like the hipster food, right? Yeah, they're yeah. Like, they're like millennial, millennial food. But they're so good, Pete. Those avocados are so wonderful. It's like that woman that you were having this huge crush on in college or in high school or whatever and you're just like oh this is going to be amazing i'm going to hit it right when it's prime it's all going to happen for me and then what by the time you get around to eating them they're bad you cut them open you're like fuck i fucked up this avocado and like do i eat now like the prime avocado or do i eat the bad one that's like 
obviously going to go get worse if I don't eat it now. It's just this whole fiasco of like avocados. And like, I just think like almost the game is not worth the candle. Like stop buying avocados. If you're an avocado and you're look like you're prime and you're ready to move and you're ready to be eaten and you're in the grocery store and you're like, please buy this like mesh bag of avocados or whatever. Fuck you. Here, here. Stupid avocado teas. (laughs) They are. They're such teases, the avocados. I got a couple cheers, Pete. All right. Cheers. And this, I'm interested in your reaction on this one. Pete, I'd like to say cheers and raise a glass of mango imperial shilling cider to musical acts that keep on cranking out high quality albums long, long, long after their cultural moment has passed. Mm. Yeah, who? So I'm thinking- Just anybody? Well, yes, just anybody, like Paul Simon, who keeps on creating great albums, whatever. But I'm thinking very specifically here about late late 90s, early 2000s indie bands. And the ones that come to mind most for me, who keep on cranking out great, great albums long after their cultural moment has passed, is Death Cab for Cutie, Jenny Lewis, Ben Folds, Radiohead, Vampire Weekend. These people have spectacular staying power. And maybe it's because they never got spoiled by drugs or fame. So they never went the way of like Nirvana or like The Who or Jefferson Airplane. And they just kept on continually producing great music long, long after like their time was over. And they just, it's just album after album is like really listenable and wonderful and fantastic. And um, what do you think? I think that we need to understand like how much success has changed in the last like 20 years. I mean, it used to be, you know, let's say it's the 1980s and you're this, you know, huge act or whatever. And then the people are kind of moving on and finding new stuff. They won't just keep putting out your albums. You know, I mean, they're just, there's not money for it, but now you can, it can find an audience. It can do whatever. I think there are probably just tons of old bands, old band members reformed doing stuff, you know, and like, yeah, why it, it's not like, it's not like this has to be famous then and then goes away. I just think that like, there's probably a tremendous amount of success out there from musicians doing cool stuff that we don't know about. I don't know about any of those bands, new music. Right. So I don't pay any attention though. Oh, okay. But the, you know, I will say from the, um, the sixties, there's obviously was a huge, huge amount of great music coming out in the sixties. And I think so many of those bands faded away. The Beatles obviously broke up. The who just kind of disappeared into irrelevance. Zeppelin. Yeah, people died and yeah, but everybody kind of burned out. The only band I think from the sixties who stands alone who kept cranking out absolutely brilliant music all the way up until the day that Jerry Garcia died is the Grateful Dead. Yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. They, that's good stuff. Ev- I don't know. I mean, I mean, the Stones eh. have not... No, no, no. They haven't done it in a long yeah. time, but they did do it for a long time. They did. It's been a while since they've had a legit album or anything. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to think about like... But they have had legit albums more recently than a lot of other bands. Yeah. So the heroes of the 60s, I think, did not continue to make like excellent music. But I do think the heroes of the late 90s, early 2000s. I think it's I think there's something on the indie side of that, right? Because the Grateful Dead, as big a deal as they are in cultural remembrance to the 60s, were a pretty indie band in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, right? I mean, it's all like underground fan supported. Like they weren't they, they were on tour and stuff. It wasn't like they were, you know, backed by a huge label. You weren't sitting there waiting for their new album to come out in the summer, right. you know? Right. 
Like, and so that's, that's why it survived. That's why Death Cab can survive or, you know, Coldplay can survive. It was like kind of an indie band to begin with, as opposed to the Christopher Crosses of the world that are collected, put together, and then produced. You got any bands that, that, that you continue to listen to, even though their, their moment of cultural relevance has clearly passed? I think that's the only bands I listen to. Which is, I'm just trying to think if I... Give some examples. I'm trying to think of bands with cultural relevance that I do listen to. But what are some examples of know. bands that continue, like you listen to their new music? I can't. I can't think of anything from an old band that's doing new stuff. So Gen X is getting hosed on this issue. Whereas millennial, yeah, millennials I mean, are just hanging strong, just playing Marymore Park and just getting the music out. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. Temple of the Dog's not playing anymore. Everybody's dead now. I'm in that, I'm in that generation. But Eddie Vedder's still making good, relevant music. Uh, Eddie Vedder. Pete, I would also like to say cheers and raise a glass to Costco. Oh, I'm always willing to do that. Go Costco. You know why? Prices at Costco. So we're living in this highly inflationary environment where, God damn it, you go to QFC. Uh, you, you live on Bainbridge, so you probably mostly go to this town and country, right? Uh, I go to town and country, but I also go to Costco. Okay. So prices at all of these, like QFC, Safeway, et cetera, prices are very, very noticeably on the rise. We're talking about like 20, 30% increases in all prices. And you go there and you buy some groceries and you're just like, what the fuck just happened? How did this cart turn into like a $225 purchase? What the fuck happened? Like, and it's inflation. Inflation is very real. But at Costco, prices don't seem to have rised significantly at all. The quality obviously is the same. Costco's obsessed with their customers, their customer base, their members. It's like a really cool thing but i don't think prices at costco have gone up at all in the last three to four yeah. years i feel like they have some but i mean i mean just along just so much lower than everything else and they're able to do that with all their membership stuff and you know how they work on it but like i mean that's what's great about costco i thought the cool thing about costco and here's a cheers to them is they had a warehouse unionized i think somewhere in the east coast like pennsylvania or something and rather than come out and condemn you know, all this stuff, their CEO came out and said, um, I feel like we failed you. If we're not providing you with enough job security and these kinds of things that you need to go elsewhere to get it, like that means we've done a bad job and we need to reassess what we're doing to all of our members. And like, there you go. You know, like if you're, you're not going to go out there and union bust, but you will go out there and say, if we're not paying you guys enough, then, then we need to pay more. Rather, you know, like, yeah, that, that's what unions are for, because generally you don't do that. So if you are going to do that, great. So let's raise the glass to Costco for all the reasons that we Costco. just Costco. Cheers to Costco. I also have Pete. This is a new category. This is not a, this is not a fuck em. This is not a cheers. This is a, well, that exists. Pete, you know what something, you know what is something that exists? Is the people, <laughs> the people on the freeway. And you live on Bayward, so you're not spending a lot of time on free bus, but y y obviously you've experienced I have this. been many times. The people on the freeway who are going so goddamn fast. You experience this. It's probably like a once every two months phenomenon that I see somebody who's driving on the freeway and who's going so goddamn fast that they're like yeah. weaving in and out of traffic. And they're clearly going like 40 miles an hour faster than anyone else on the freeway and they're just going zoo, 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 zoo. there's flipping in between traffic flying in and out going fast going yeah, this real thing. aggressive yeah these people exist what the fuck is, who are these people thrill-seeking youngsters people impaired by drugs or alcohol you think so any of the crew of the fast and furious <laughs> to me the crew of the fast and furious is the better explanation yeah, you just can't do that though like you, you can do that for like a little bit maybe once or twice but if you're gonna go 
90 to 100 miles an hour skipping through cars on the freeway, you're going to get in accidents or arrested and impounded. You know, like it's not something you can just casually do. These people are going so fast and they're and they're going in and out of cars. They're dying. They're getting killed in car accidents. They they're getting be. other people killed in car accidents. They must yeah, be. for sure. You don't think this is because what, how can you possibly trust what everybody else is doing at that speed? So you I mean, it's not like, oh, my control is so good. Like, yeah, what you're you're trying to control it through like a moving river. You don't think this is like the rich people who don't care about what the speeding tickets are? Ah, uh, no, not at that speed. At that speed, you're doing double the speed limit, close to yeah. what is yeah. it? Some percentage overnight. Now you're into like reckless driving. You're into arrest. You're into misdemeanor territory. You think this is like fast? It's beyond speeding. Fast and Furious fans. Yeah, yeah, assholes. I think it's assholes. Assholes who think they can drive better than they can, and they're rolling the dice until they can't. It's insane when you see these people. I don't. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck they think they're doing. They're living for the moment, man. They're throwing caution to the wind. They're being cool. Well, anyway, that exists. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Middle Brown Multiverse. If you'd like to join our army of subscribers, you can do so at patreon.com slash multiverse. There's a free option or a paid option that gives you access to bonus episodes that you might enjoy.